Did anybody else chair dance during the sermon bumper? I always chair dance during the sermon bumper. Um, good morning. My name is Tom Hall. Um, I'll be your elder today. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I want to tell you, I'm really tired, okay? I've been burning the candle at both ends and in the middle. And so if I'm a little off this morning, uh, it's because I'm trying to keep it all together. Um, Matt, awesome job, as per usual. I think we could just all go home right now and we would have gotten the point, right? Okay. Um, we have been filling in us elders and some other people. Um, for Mike, who has been on sabbatical, and we've been doing that for a while, and now you're down to the dregs, which is me. <laughs> okay, but we get to do this thing. We have been working in Matthew chapter 13 through the parables, trying to get to the bottom of what it was Jesus was trying to say. So, if you will grab a Bible, any Bible, one of the ones in front of you, whatever, open it to Matthew chapter 13. I'm not going much of anywhere other than that today. I will go a couple places, but you don't have to look them up. Um, I don't have any visuals for you this morning. I just didn't get it together. So you're going to have to listen to what I'm saying and try to imagine things. Can you do that for me? Okay. Here we go. Let's see if we can do this. Oh, wait, let's pray. It's a good idea. Father God, we are thankful this morning um, for everything that you do for us. We are thankful for this place where we can come to learn about you and worship you and gather together as believers um, in your name. Father, we are thankful for your word. Without your word, we would be um, in an awful mess. We thank you for your son who came, taught us, died for us, and gave us forgiveness of sin. So we ask this morning, Lord, that you would be heard um, what you have to say. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Before I start, I have to tell um, one of Eileen's favorite stories. Um, so how many of you remember... Um, Lucas and Andrea Cunha, okay, and Emmanuel, Emmanuel, my little buddy, Emmanuel, um, he, yeah, I love that kid, man, we, we would go across the street, and we would throw rocks in the creek, and then as he got a little bigger, and I had an apple tree that was dumping apples all over the place, we would get a bucket of apples and take it down, and we would throw those in the creek, and then he started getting really good, and I'm like, Emmanuel, can you hit that pipe over there, and pew, and hit it. It's really cool, really awesome. I love this kid. The, the last time that I was going to preach, I was doing my usual normal freak out, and I couldn't get the, the message to come together. I couldn't get it to lay the way I wanted it to. I couldn't figure out how to get it to go, and I'm fussing over it, and Manuel wants me to play with him. I'm like, I really got to get this thing going, and, and I'm, he's going, well, you know, you can just do this thing, and I'm like, Manuel handling the word of God to the people of God on Sunday morning is a big deal and it stresses me out. And he says, 
Papa. Sometimes we have to do things that are scary. In my school, we have show and tell. And I had to do show and tell, and I didn't want to because it was scary and I was scared. But then I did it, and now I kind of like show and tell. So you can do it. You can do the things that are scary. And I'm like, oh, man. He, he was five years old. He just turned six. And so the kid counseled me, and it was okay. Um, so we're going from there. Um, back in May, Joe Stenkamp uh, did an awesome job um, of explaining the setting where Jesus was speaking these parables and who he was talking to. Um, over the next two weeks, we're hoping to wrap up this chapter. But there's another level that I would like to talk about and I think is important here, and that is, who is the author of this particular gospel and who was his intended audience? Who was he writing the gospel account to? So let's start there. So the author, Matthew, also called Levi, he was a tax gatherer, you know, popular people. Um, Israel had been conquered by the Romans. The Romans took over. Romans imposed taxes on the Israelites, the Jews, and some Jews chose to work with the Romans rather than resist them, which did not make them very popular. And Matthew was a Jew who gathered taxes from his fellow Jews and gave it to the Romans after, of course, he took his cut. And this made him a traitor to his own people and a hated man. Anybody um, identify with that? Yeah, I've, I've been somebody that people didn't appreciate um, fairly often. Matthew was a tax collector who was called by Jesus to be one of the original 12 disciples. We can read about his call in Matthew 9, 9 through 12. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Seems pretty simple. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, see, Matthew threw a banquet for him, although he didn't include that here in his gospel. As he reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, he being Jesus, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." So Matthew, one of the original 12s, was eyewitness to Jesus' entire ministry from this point on. Matthew wrote his gospel account, as did Mark, Luke, and John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, he wrote his gospel in a way that shows a lot about his personality 
and his background, all of them have a little different way to write and their personality shows through even though God was speaking through them. So Matthew shows his background as a tax gatherer in the way he arranges his account. He wrote it mostly chronologically with the exception of the Sermon on the Mount and the parables. And this is very different from the Gospels of Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's Gospel is analytical and sometimes reads more like an accounting ledger or a spreadsheet. Now, when I was a kid, my parents had a container into which they threw their change at the end of the day. Remember change? People used to do that you know, before there was cards. And, and at the end of the day, they'd take the change and they'd throw it in. You, everybody have that? Okay, some people have a jar and that kind of thing. In, in my mind and in my memory, ours was like a three-pound coffee can. It was probably a one-pound coffee can, and it was probably Sanka because my mother couldn't have caffeine. My mother was a hard-driven type A type person, and you did not want her to have caffeine. <laughs> okay, but I remember sitting down at the kitchen table, and they pulled out this can full of coins, and they dumped that out on the table, and it was mostly pennies, maybe a few nickels and dimes, and might even been a quarter in there. But pennies. I looked at the penny, and I was like, eh, it's a penny. Even way back in the dark ages when I was a kid, a penny wasn't worth much, right? But our parents, you know, getting us interactive, said, okay, here's the thing. I want you to make stacks of 10. Cool, because we could count to 10 at that point. So we made stacks of 10, and I was like, ooh, okay, 10 of those. That's, that's 10 cents. That's kind of something. And then they took them, and they put them in these little paper wrappers. You older people will remember these. Kids, you ever seen the little paper wrappers? That you, oh, Calvin has. You put the coins in, and we, they put 50 of them in there and wrapped it up, and I'm like, ooh, 50 cents. That's almost enough to buy a matchbox car. And then they started wrapping all of these things up, and pretty soon there was like 10 wrappers of 50 on the table, and I'm going, that's five bucks. That's a huge amount of money. I see that as the way Matthew, when he's putting his gospel together, stacks similar things to give them more weight. It gives them more value because you can see them stacked together. Matthew is my favorite gospel, and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is my favorite account of anything ever. In fact, when I was trying to get my life back together, I memorized Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, five, six, and seven, and it changed my life. I've told you that before. I'll tell you it again. So, added value in the grouping. This is Matthew's personality and his background showing up. Matthew begins his gospel account in chapter 1 with a genealogy. You know, you guys know what a genealogy is? Kids, that's who your grandparents were, who your parents are, who you are, okay, that kind of thing, okay? He starts with Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation. All of the Jews are descended from Abraham, okay? And he puts all these generations together from Abraham to David, okay? And then from David to Jesus. Oh, wait, 
I missed something, deportation to Babylon, and then from Babylon to Jesus. And in verse 17, he wraps it all up in a very analytical, mathematical way and says, and I quote, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ, 14 generations. Who takes the time to count that out, right? Except somebody that wants to get all the facts correct. And he wants to communicate to his fellow Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. The entire point of Matthew's gospel was to prove to his fellow Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? Got that? It's written from a Jewish worldview. It's written including a lot of Old Testament scripture references to make his case. All right. We have been going through the parables, and I drug my feet signing my name on the, the schedule for doing all of these sermons, and so I was lucky enough to get this particular passage Two verses, Matthew 13, 51 and 52. You can look in your Bible now, 13, 51 and 52. And Jesus said, have you understood all these things? They, his disciples, said, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old deep, huh? Ooh, a lot of meat in there. Let's, let's see if we can scrape something out of that and, and figure out something. What I would like to do is start from the word understood and back up to the beginning of this chapter to make the case for our conclusion. So, when Jesus' disciples came to him and asked, why parables? Right? You remember him these disciples coming and asking that? And he replies in Matthew 13, 13 through 50, 15, excuse me. Are you there? This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. See what I did there? I'm emphasizing understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Oh, wait. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is the Lord God, Yahweh, condemning his chosen people for seeing and hearing but never understanding because their hearts are grown dull. He has sent Isaiah, the prophet, to tell them, hey, turn from the idolatry that you are doing, turn from the ways that you are going. We need to get back to the Lord God and what he taught us 
so that we can have success as a nation and not be downtrodden anymore. And they weren't doing it. And Isaiah put that indictment against them. And Matthew quotes it, quotes Jesus quoting it to start. So let's do a quick review of some of the parables and see what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand. The sower. There was a sower, and he spread seed everywhere. Kind of like Calvin would if he was sowing seeds. Right? Just flinging them all over the place. It'd be a lot of fun, right? Just fling them around on the road and amongst the thorn bushes, and some of them actually on good soil. Right? So, in verses 19 to 23, Jesus explains the parable of the sower to his disciples. And in verse 19, it says this about the seed sown beside the road. Verse 19, are you there? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Did you get that? Jesus then explains the seed sown in good soil in verse 23 with these words. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and... Okay, come on, you guys. You can do better than that. Here's the word and... Okay, good. He's the one that hears the word and understands. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. The parable of the sower concludes in verse 9 with Jesus saying, He who has ears, let him hear. Are you picking up some clues there? So, by the way, I looked this up. I checked it out. He who has ears, let him hear. You know how many people in the Bible said that? I'll give you a hint. One, and his name was Jesus. And it's only in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Revelation. I don't know why John didn't put it in there, but he did it. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, the wheat and the weeds. Okay, in verses 24 to 30, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds. There's another sower. This guy's a little more careful. Sows good seed and in good soil. But in the middle of the night, an enemy comes and sows in his weeds in his wheat field. His hired hands question him about his seed, but he knows an enemy has sabotaged his crop. He tells them to wait until the harvest time, then separate the wheat from the weeds. Wheat, weeds. When his disciples ask for an explanation... Jesus says this in verse 37. He answered, The one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are are angels. 
In verse 43, Jesus explains it's the explanation of the parable, and he ends it saying, 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their fathers. He who has ears, let him hear. We've got hearing, we've got seeing, we've got understanding. We're putting all this together, and it's going to work. Jesus has something to say. Matthew is telling a story. Parable of the dragnet. You guys know what a dragnet is? It's not an old 60s TV show. <laughs> this is the city. No, it's not that dragnet. A dragnet is a big net that they throw out into the ocean or the lake or wherever, really wide, cast this net, and then they start dragging it in. Get it? See where the name came from? Dragnet. So they drag the net in, and as they drag the net in, anything that happens to be swimming anywhere near the area gets caught up in that net, right? And so they drag it up on shore, and they sit down, and they start sorting the fish. Good ones go over here, bad ones go over there. They're sorting the fish. So they're sorting the good fish and the bad fish, and again, it says the same thing we've heard several times in verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. At the end of the age, something is happening. We've heard it several times in these parables. We've seen the same pattern several times in all of these par parables. And in verse 51, Matthew has Jesus turning to his disciples and saying... Have you understood all these things? And they go, yeah. Yeah, we got it. Uh-huh. Doc Noer says that's just like a third-year medical student. <laughs> he says, you, te you teach them all this stuff, and then they say, have you got that? And they go, yeah. And then two days later, you say, what was it I taught you? And they go, ah. But I think these guys might have actually gotten it. He said, have you understood all these things? We've got understanding in a lot of different places. We started with Isaiah and we went through these parables and we saw seeing and hearing and understanding, right? So then Jesus says, therefore, you remember the rule of therefore? I, you older people remember it. You know, the rule of therefore is that you need to back up and see what it is. Therefore. Yeah, therefore. What is the therefore, therefore? Okay. Therefore acts in grammar a lot like an if-then action in computer programming. Andrew, correct? Doesn't matter what language it is programming language, there's an if-then statement. If this is true, then, or if this is false, then. If this value is higher than this, then, or if this value is lower than this, then, it's always an if-then statement. Jesus gives them the if-then, okay? If you understand all these things, then, in 52, therefore, 
every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Jesus responds by referring to scribes. You guys know what scribes are? There was an office of a scribe. Scribe, yeah, the word grapho comes from writing, right? Basically, the scribes were the people who would read, interpret, and the law of God and tell the people how to live by God's revelation of the law. That was their job. That was their title. That was describing who and what they were. In our modern times, in a very literal way, we, who are disciples of the kingdom of heaven, who have eyes to see, who have ears to hear, and hearts that are not dull but teachable and trained in the word of God, are the scribes of our day. Do you get that? We can read God's word, we can understand God's word, and part of the thing of the scribes is it references discipling or training people. You get that? Okay? So, if we really understand all these things, we know some things, don't we? We know that at the end of the age, there is a sorting coming, right? Good and bad, righteous, unrighteous, good, evil. There's going to be a sorting. Some are going to go to be with the God of heaven, the God who created them, and be with him forever. Some are going to go and be separated, totally outside the goodness of God for the first time ever, and that's going to last forever. There's a sorting coming at the end of the age. Do we understand all these things? If we really understand all these things, it seems like maybe our lives ought to look different from the world around us. If we really understand all these things, our priorities will be different. If we understand all these things, our talk will be different. How we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our resources will be different. What is our mission statement? Anybody? Can you quote it? We spent months on it. <laughs> to be a people who embody and proclaim the life giving fullness of the gospel. And what is one of our main priorities? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Come on, you guys. Doc has drilled you on this so much. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
right? Go, make disciples, go, make disciples, go, make disciples. One of our core values is to make disciples, right? So, if we can see, if we can hear, if we can understand what's written in the Word of God, we are scribes. And as scribes, we are supposed to be teaching people. We are supposed to be communicating God's revelation to them. We are supposed to be making disciples. Amen? Okay. Everyone who has learned Bible stories as a child in Sunday school, anybody? How many of you went to Sunday school? I, yeah, I... I have a friend that likes to say I was part of the drug culture. Anytime the church was open, my mom drugged me there. <laughs> it's an old joke. It's a good one still. This is true of me, though. Anyone who has been taught the Bible stories as a child in Sunday school, anyone who has repented and acknowledged Jesus as Savior and attended church services and heard the word preached and has read the Bible, is like the head of a household. You know what the head of a household has? He has children. He has a wife, and he has children, and he has grandchildren, and maybe even great-grandchildren. I don't have any of those, but, you know, I got a wife and kids. Um, and he brings out of his treasure things new, and things old. Whether it's something that you learned in Sunday school 50 years ago or something that you read in the Bible just this morning, it's still a treasure, right? And we are supposed to be doing what with that? Discipling others. We're supposed to be teaching that to others. We're supposed to be sharing that treasure with others. God has put us here for a reason. He's put these words here for a reason. I love how Matthew stacks those coins and adds value to it. In the other Gospels, not that they aren't great too, but I identify with Matthew because I like to sort things. Um, when I was working in the body shop a million years ago, um, all of the nuts and bolts and fasteners and washers and all of that stuff I would throw into a large can, just like the change jar, right? And then when there was nothing else to do and everybody else was going home because there wasn't any work, I would dump them out on the counter and I'd sort them. Washers go in there, screws go in there, bolts go in there, nuts go in there, clips going there. Well, we got black clips, we got white clips, and we got miscellaneous clips, and... I would sort them all out. And that's kind of what Matthew has done here in both the Sermon on the Mount and in the parables is he sorted them out and stacked them up and gone, okay, here are all of these places where he's pointing to the same thing. And the question is, do we understand? The Israelites in the passage in Isaiah that was quoted, it says that not only did they see and not see, 
Not only did they hear and not hear, but their hearts were dull, and they went so far as to cover their eyes so they couldn't see, stop their ears so they couldn't hear, and harden their hearts to what God had to say through the prophet Isaiah. We need to be sure that we are seeing what God wants us to see. We are seeing God working and moving around us. We are seeing God working in people, and that's where we want to join God. People are God's greatest priority. Did you realize that? Okay. What should our greatest priority be? People. My mother hammered into my head, people first, people first. People first, people over priorities, people over plans, people over projects, people over money, people over time, people. People come first. And sometimes that gets really difficult when I've got all these things that I want to get done and there's people that need my time, right? God puts people first. We need to put people first. We need to see where God is working, join him working in people's lives. We need to bring out our treasure new and old. And if we're not coming out with new treasure, maybe we're too old. There's still treasure to be found. Okay? There's no age limit to discipling. There's always somebody younger than you that needs to be discipled. I haven't aged out yet. I still go hang out with Caleb and the youth group, and for some reason, some of those kids like having me around. Yeah. Oh, wow. Sawyer Thomas Woolsey over there, by the way. He's, yeah, anyway. <laughs> hey, have you understood all these things? Then I'm done. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we are thankful um, for your word, for what it teaches us, for what it reveals to us. And Lord, I am thankful that there are four different accounts of Jesus' life recorded in your word because we all have different personalities and we identify with things differently. And we can look at what a different person's account of the life of Jesus is and get different insights into who you are and who he sent you to become the payment for our sin. Father, I pray that we would not see without seeing, that we would not hear without hearing, and that our hearts would never be dull or hardened to what you have to say and what you call us to do. Lord, help us to be ready and quick to join you in the work that you are doing in your greatest priorities, which is people's lives. Lord, we just ask that you would drive this home to us this week, cause us to mold our lives to the image of your Son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.